Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Lovely people, beautiful people, ladies and gentlemen. It's such a great day here in Dallas and we have an exciting show lined up for you. Uh, today we'll be talking about a topic that's very relevant amongst all young people and I feel this is going to be an excellent conversation but before really digging into that, I must say I have the privilege of being joined in the booth by two phenomenal individuals, the legendary Ross type. Would not say legendary, but thank you. You know, I am legend. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and the phenomenal, taco-loving Andrew Templeton. Ooh, oh, good morning, guys. I'm excited to be here. We didn't tell you last week what happened. Um, man, I was just uh, in San Diego on a little vacation. Um, semester was starting up for school, and I like to get a little getaway before that so that I'm energized and excited um, for the semester. So my wife and I went out there and celebrated one of my best friend's birthdays for four days. Absolutely. It must be nice. Uh, Andrew, you do an excellent job of loving people well, so thank you for that. I'm excited. Uh, Last week we were joined by uh, Josiah, who really did an excellent job in introducing uh, introducing the new series that we'll be talking about in the next couple of weeks, Identity Series. And you know, uh, young people, we tend to find our identity in very different areas. Some do find it in the corporate ladder of success. And so today we'll be talking about that. Do you guys have anything to say? I do have a question for y'all. Shoot. Everyone's got a dream job. Amen. Come on. What's your absolutely not job? Like, it doesn't matter how much money they offered you, I'm never doing that job. Well, I mean, they could probably offer me enough money that I would pro- that I would do it. Um, but I'm going to see, say like an OBGYN and like having given birth to babies, like pulling those out. I just don't think that's something that, you know, I want to do on a daily basis slash uh, maybe for my kids. That's probably about it. Otherwise, I'm like, ah, I just can't see myself looking at that and doing that every day. I I don't want to be a podiatrist. Podiatrist? Podiatrist. Foot doctor? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Because I hate feet. Yeah. They're kind of disgusting, you know? I mean, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, but it's cool. You're not Jesus, so... Yeah. No, no, because they do have to deal with... some other stuff on the feet, which oh, is gross. Foot fungus, you name yes. it. Athlete's foot, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ro? You just said you went to the San Diego Zoo, which sounds cool. The job that you could not pay me to ever do is to be the guy at a zoo that handles the reptiles. <laughs> it's like the guy that's got to play with you're, the snakes. You know what? You're right. Actually, I hate snakes, and you would not pay me enough money to like go hang out with snakes all day long, like yeah. ever. I don't care what equipment you give me. I'm not going near a king cobra. Just not doing it. <laughs> some of them, Some of them are nice. I don't care. They're not nice. Some of them are nice. Those king cobras, you, you know. know. Like a lot of people have domesticated cobras. Yeah, that. that's like domesticating sin. Let's go ahead and do it. Yeah, True. you get a little yeah. cute little baby snake, a cute little baby sin. It's really cute until it grows up and bites <laughs> you and kills you. Yeah, love it. Um, so yeah, today we'll be talking about that, the corporate ladder of success, and why do you guys feel as if every single and and Ro has talked about it before that Dallas is full of a lot of young people who are flourishing, who are getting these jobs and who are doing so well and who seem to be running after it, right? And the percentage of such is really high in comparison to young people running after Christ. And why do you feel as if there's this discrepancy in our generation where a lot of people seem to be drawn to the corporate ladder of success? I think just it's a function of being young and having a lot of energy and free time. 
Um, there are some people who take that that energy and that free time and they use it for the gospel and building the kingdom of God. And then there are other people who take that energy and their free time and use it wholly to climb the corporate ladder of success and to get a higher salary. Um, and I've said it, before, said it before that in Dallas, we have a lot of really successful young people, which is really in the grand scheme of things, not a bad thing. That's a very good thing that we have a city that has such a good economy and so many opportunities that there are a lot of young successful people in the city. That is a very good thing, objectively speaking. The problem comes when climbing that ladder and finding that financial success becomes the idol in your life and eclipses God in your life. Money on its own is not a bad thing. It depends on how you use it and what the heart is behind its use. I'm looking at the last you know, 100 years in the United States and the uh, American dream is to get the job, get the house, get the family, get the kids. It mm-hmm. seems like those two kids. Um, and then just, that's it. And live that, right? And and make money. And as kids were asked, and especially in America, what do you want to do when you get older? And I know it's most of Western cultures. What are you going to do? And I know that Eastern culture in, in China and uh, North Korea, or South Korea, sorry, is very much about success driven and getting that into that school and getting that job and making that money and climbing as well. Um, so it's not just an American thing. But they ask as kids, what do you want to do when you get older? Right? And I was like, oh, that's really cute. You want to be a firefighter, an astronaut. Now I know the one of the top is I want to be like a... a a social media influencer is actually one of the top ones now. TikTok, uh, TikTok you know, Instagram, whatever it is. Um, and so they don't, we're not, even as Christians, our parents aren't asking like, hey, where do you want to share the gospel when you're older? You know, what how, how, what kind of impact do you want to have for God's kingdom? It's even the secular like, man, what do you want to have success? How many kids do you want to have? What do you want to do when you're older? And it's not about the gospel. So even as Christians or non-Christians, we're not asking those really important questions and gearing our kids towards that. So then we have this result where we're like, oh, yeah, I went to school for so many years. I went to college to get the degree. Now my next stage is to climb that corporate ladder. Wow. And do you guys feel as if true satisfaction could be found in the corporate ladder of success? You know, when you're getting all this money and uh, you can afford whatever lifestyle you want to have, right? Uh, because I think we live in a world where money seems to solve everything and virtually everything. If you... If you're not feeling well, well, you can pay a doctor to kind of look at what's going on with your body. If you feel as if you need better stuff, then you can travel to San Diego, to the zoo and stuff. And just <laughs> <laughs> you do have to have money for that. That's correct. Absolutely. So to answer your question directly, I, there's a guy named Bernie Madoff who some of you may, some people may know who he is. Some people may not. Essentially, is he a basketball player? No, he's not. <laughs> I'm just es- essentially what this guy was is he was a finance guy in New York and he ran a Ponzi scheme. So he had this investment fund and he would take money from his investors and he would basically pay it off to his other investors and then lie to them and say, I'm giving you 18% returns every year. When in reality, he wasn't giving them 18% returns. They were fake. He was just, he was making up fake returns that they kept kept giving him money and then he would funnel it to himself. And he got very rich doing this. Um, It's the largest Ponzi scheme in history. He actually died in prison recently. But the reason I bring that up is because this dude was worth tens of billions before he started doing this Ponzi scheme. He was very rich, very wealthy. He didn't have to work another day in his life. And yet he could retire. He could buy an island. He could retire to that island. He could do whatever he wanted with his money. And yet he entered into this Ponzi scheme because it's never enough. Because even though he had all of these billions of dollars, he still wasn't satisfied. And then he took an incredible risk to do, you know, this horribly evil thing and rob people of their retirement savings, made, you know, thousands of people destitute because he was so greedy because it was never enough. And so even this billionaire he was still starving for more money that he was led to do this horrible, horrible thing. And so I think if that's not an example that no amount of money will ever be enough, I don't know what is. You even see it in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, like, 
he he actually I have the exact quote right the, here. The exact verse. Yeah. Whom? Yeah. Right. Whomever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So mm. Solomon came to the same conclusion that Bernie Madoff did, except they did it thousands of years apart. Because the human condition is we want more and more and more, but it will never be enough. Yeah, isn't that the song from The Greatest Showman? Never enough, never, never, never enough. Because we looked, um, I forget the name of the main character, it's been a couple years now, but Hugh Jackman's character, you know, um, is climbing, he's made the big success, he has a circus, it's moving, it's grooving, he's traveling everywhere, um, and yet he has this this woman who's doing it with him, and it's not an affair happening, but an emotional affair is going on there, um, and he's like, wow, this is bad, this is not good. And then he kind of breaks it off, that emotional affair. But then you see her singing, never enough. Like, even if you have it all. And it's really depicting his life where he's gone from rags to riches and has everything he's ever wanted, but yet it's still not enough. Yeah. Uh, and so that, it really points back to Ecclesiastes and exactly what Roe was talking about. But you, you, you can never truly have it all. But also, uh, as we were beginning, Roe said something uh, that I think is important, that there's nothing wrong with uh, being a successful young person there's nothing wrong with you know being planted in the corporate world right uh you need to see that as your mission field right and could we kind of talk about how the possibility of that that's how can young people uh reshape their focus such that uh the corporate world for them is not a money minting arena but then it's just an opportunity for them to serve others to love others and to for uh, uh to advance the great commission well, I'm, I'm going to start by saying I, I agree with what Rose saying there, and we have to look at Genesis for that. Um, and and the first, you know, creation mandate was to be fruitful, multiply, to subdue the earth, to work the land. Right? That's what God calls um, Adam and Eve to do. And it's like an, an Adam in the garden is naming all the animals and doing things and working. So God created us to work um, and to give Him glory through that. And then we have this. Um, the, the Great Commission, which is later on, is the second one for Christians, is to um, make disciples and to preach the gospel to all nations. And so we have to combine those two where we work and proclaim his glory at the same time. Yeah. And then kind of clarify that, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So to give historical context, in the first century, houses were mostly one room and uh, oil was pretty expensive. So they would have one lamp. And because you only had one lamp, you had to put it in a strategic part of the house so that it could give off as much light as possible. So when Jesus says, you, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl, what he's saying is, when you light a lamp, you put it in a specific spot for a specific reason so that its light can be maximized. In the same way... When God puts you somewhere, albeit a job, an apartment, in a specific family, he puts you somewhere for a very specific reason. And so when he puts you in that job at that big four accounting firm, or if he puts you in the job, if he, if he makes you a teacher, an engineer, scientist, accountant, whatever you may be, he's doing that for a very specific purpose. And it doesn't matter if it's a high-paying job or not a high-paying job, because God has put you there and you can glorify him in whatever job he gives you. So if your intent with your job is to glorify God, you're not going to go wrong. However, if your intent with your job is to collect as many pieces of paper with dead presidents on them as you can before you die, then you're going to run into a problem because now you're idolizing one over the other. You're idolizing success over God. Well, um, you cannot serve two masters, well, whatever that is uh, in your life. 
Um, could be could become CrossFit. It could be tacos we talked about. Uh, it could be success. Uh, it could be your wife or husband. You cannot serve two masters. Uh, and Christ really talks about that in Luke 16 in the parable of the clever steward. And multiple times he talks about money many times, but he says you cannot serve God in money. Um, so we have to look at what is your ultimate mission and purpose. And I would say it's very easy to get distracted slash sidetracked where we even as, as Christians were um, doing all to the glory of God. And then we get in the business world and then we see people around us and you're like, oh man, that guy's, you know, he's going pretty fast. I'm going to see if I can climb the ladder a little bit faster. Or I'm going to see if, you know, she's pretty good at her marketing job, but I think I'm better. I'm going to go faster than her. And we get distracted. It's because of like innate fleshly desires in there. We start comparing ourselves to others and we want to be a little bit better and grow a little bit faster than them. And that's where we have to have men and women around us who are going to, whoa, row, you're why, why are you being a lawyer again? Like, are you competing with somebody here? Or are you doing it to the glory of God? Because um, we're all going to do that. We're always going to get distracted. We're always going to have things that pull us away from God. And you have to have men and women around you who are going to challenge you in that. Especially if you're a go-getter. Like, if you're a type A personality and you just love to go as fast as you can, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have, you need community around you to keep you in check, to make sure that you are not, you're not, this isn't a competition and you're not just trying to become just a little bit richer than the guy down the hall from you that you're doing this because you have a legitimate reason, which is to glorify God, not because I want to be, I want to have a slightly bigger yacht than my neighbor. Like yeah. Once you get into that mentality, now you're having some problems. Well, I look at, you know, Christ sent his disciples out two by two, right? Why? Because it's very easy for them to get discouraged or distracted when they're one by one. But when you have a brother or sister in Christ standing beside you and saying, whoa, where's your head at? What do you mean you don't want to proclaim the gospel? What do you mean you're doing this for money? Right, it keeps them on their mission, which is the Great Commission, while doing the creation mandate at the same time. Wow, are you a Type A role? I don't know. I don't really buy personality tests very much. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know how you quantify that <laughs> stuff. Most of them, there's like, there's only one psychological test that's actually like quantified. It's Enneagram. The Enneagram is not no. Oh, wow. There's like most of them don't have studies that back them up. It's. I mean, there's a few little bit behind it, but there's only one that's like a three-hour psychological test that's like, here's your personality. Does a great job. Um, but when I was thinking about the Enneagram, it is a test that has you know nine different personality types, uh, and I, you know it's relatively accurate. But obviously, um, and I see that a lot of it is like I'm, I'm a type three, which is the achiever mindset, the success mindset. Same. And so what I've seen in Dallas specifically is there are a lot of achiever mindset. I've met a lot of threes here over proportionate. When there's nine types, you're like, oh, there should be like a varied, you know, you have a one in nine chance, roughly. Yeah. But yet in Dallas, I'm like, man, it seems like 40% of the people I meet, you know, 33 to 40% are type threes because big business, um, big cities attract people who are like, go, 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 achiever mindset. And that's really what a lot of people that I meet, even at, uh, at church, you know, at the CrossFit gym, wherever it may be, people who want to succeed and achieve. Yeah, wow. America in general is like that. I mean, you think about who started America. It's people that were willing to leave their lives in that's Europe, true. get on a boat, and go to a place that they had never been before for the hope of a better life. Yeah, but I don't know say they were achievers. A lot of them were fleeing religious persecution. Well, some. But you're right. There's a lot of Americans who have that mindset, and people from other countries are coming here. Uh, as well, who have that American dream or also that, because you're right, walking across, you know, a thousand miles across Mexico or coming across from Italy on a boat. Tell me about it. That takes getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming across in the middle voyage as they were forced to. That's what, that's what he's pointing to <laughs> is the middle voyage from Africa to America in the slave trade. But the other people who chose to freely do it, they're stepping way out of their comfort zone and moving somewhere else. And that is typically does take like more of an achiever mindset or a, I'm going to do this mindset. You're right. Yeah. And also, yeah. Go ahead. No. And now since we have a lot of these people in the corporate world, a lot of young people flourishing, doing so well, 
wisdom does not dictate that they should walk away from that, right? But what are some di diagnostic reflections that my, one might ask himself or herself to evaluate if the attitude involved in this corporate culture is fine? What is the culture around me? That's the first question you should ask yourself. Am I different from that culture around me? Those are the two questions that I would ask. If you're a believer in the corporate world, those are the two questions you should ask yourself is what is the culture around me? Um, is it a secular culture? Am I in a company that even, am I in a company that honors God? There are a lot of those like that. Um, I have a bunch of friends that work for, for, I don't want Milestone Electric, I guess I can say the name. And it's a, like the company is run and owned by followers of Christ. And so they pray before meetings, you know, that kind of thing. There are companies like that, but most companies out there, it's a pretty secular culture. And so if you're in a company that has a secular culture and there's, there's no talk of God or Christ anywhere, then the question you should ask yourself is, you should ask yourself is, am I standing out from that culture? Is there a noticeable difference between me and the other people in the office? Yeah. And, and how can you bring Christ into that culture? Like, am I allowed to start a Bible study or a small group um, inside of that? That way your mindset is focused on, on Christ inside of that and bringing other people along with you. Because I think one man or woman can change a culture and can lead people in the right direction. Um, but you have to look at your own headspace <clears throat> and have people who are checking you and checking yourself. Like maybe every three months you're evaluating, like, why am I doing this job again? Where's my head at? Am I relying on money or am I trusting in God? I think that's the big thing is it says you cannot serve two masters. Are you being faithful and trusting in God or are you trusting in the money and the security there? No. Now, uh, to roll, now after realizing, okay, what's the culture around you and are you different? So what's the part B of that question? What what do you do after recognizing the nature of the culture around you and whether you're different or not? Like, what are some practical steps of just being the light in that world? Um, I mean, as juvenile as it may sound, don't curse. I mean, people notice that. If, if everyone around you, if everyone around you, like, especially if you work in finance, people drop a lot of F-bombs. Um, so if, if, if you're in an office where everyone's dropping F-bombs all the time and you're not, like, you were, you were just you decide that you are going to, you know, be God honoring with the words that you say, people notice that over time. Um, I have a friend that he does his quiet time during his lunch break in the break room. He'll, he'll bring his Bible to work and he'll, you know, he'll do his quiet time during lunch and people notice that. And he would even say that like people would come in the break room laughing, cursing, you know, cutting up. And then as soon as they would see him reading his Bible, they say, Oh no, no, Corey's reading his Bible. Everyone stop, you know, don't curse anymore. Um, and it was just kind of like, it was funny, but it's just a clear example of people notice when you are faithful in your day to day, maybe it's praying before meals. Um, maybe it's, you know, if you're comfortable reading your Bible at work, do that. If you're comfortable. Well, even if you're not, if comfortable, you're not comfortable, I would yeah. say it doesn't matter if you're comfortable or not comfortable. Uh, I think you should be willing to open God's word and, and point people back to Christ wherever you're at. Yeah. You're right. Thanks for, thanks for clearing that up. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just little things that you can do to be faithful and to not be ashamed of your faith. Romans 1 I am not ashamed of the gospel. Um, so that can be at work. That can be wherever. Yeah, one thing that I do um, as I'm going to my office is I make sure that every day that, like like Daniel, that I'm praying on my knees. Mm -hmm. um, I think about his boldness where he said he prayed three times a day, um, and when a law was passed against him praying to his God, he still did it. Uh, and so in my workplace, I make sure that I walk in the office, my office door is open, drop to my knees, I have my clients written on the board, people that I'm praying for, and I make sure that I am focusing on God throughout that day. And so I think one of the best ways to do it is to do something along those lines where when I'm in the place where I actually work, I'm not saying like I'm going to pray in the car. Praying in the car is great. Like I prayed in the car on the way here. I love talking to God in the car. But when you actually pray in the place that you're at, 
it does something, right? It's making sure that you're, um, God, I'm honoring you with my presence here. I'm honoring you with my work and I'm honoring you with my interactions with people, right? And other, someone may see that, someone may not, but either way, your headset is, this is God's place. Like, I think like as Christians at church, like if you're serving, you're like, man, this is God's house. Like I can talk to anyone who enters through these doors. I'm comfortable. This is, I own this. But yet God owns the entire world, earth. Earth is his footstool and heaven is his throne. Let's take that same mindset to our workplaces and wherever we're at. We're saying, man, this, this is God's work. Right, this is God's workplace. This is His footstool, man. I'm gonna drop to my knees and trust Him today. And Andrew, oh, just, I mean, I, I think you're the most, you're better equipped than both of us to talk about the corporate world because you're actually in it, right? And before you moved to Dallas in New Mexico, you're actually making strides, huge strides, climbing up the ladder of success, right? How was it for you to get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm going to leave this all behind? And also while you're doing that, what are some ways through which you were faithful or through which you exercised your faith or through which you allowed people to know that Andrew is a follower of Christ and is running after God even while being in the corporate world? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And yeah, a little of uh, my story, if I think a little bit, is that um, up and rooted myself being in Albuquerque, New Mexico, being a realtor out there for the past, real estate for the past seven years uh, and making those that six-figure income uh, for the past couple years out there and um, decided to move myself to Dallas in August of last year to come to seminary to study about God. Um, and the question that I asked myself is in 1 John 2, um, and a lot of people have heard this verse before, but 1 John 2, 15 through 17, where it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not from the Father, but are of the world. And it says, And the world and all its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. And just that idea that, man, I know that I can be a, a good good steward of God's time and, and make money every single day and, and, and talk to people about Him and lead a small group, but there's something greater where I need to get an education. I need to learn as much about God as possible because most stuff on this earth is going to pass away. But whatever I do for the kingdom of God, whatever interactions I have with people, like in heaven, I'm not taking money or food or my house. I'm only taking the people with me who I got to share the gospel with, whose hearts were softened, who came to know him. And I said, man, that's what I want to be all about. Um, and so something that I did on a day-to-day basis while working and still do, as I got to pay for seminary, as I'm working towards ministry, is um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, therefore, whatever you eat or Whatever, um, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So I said, whether whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, whether I buy or sell homes, whether I help you buy or sell home, do all to the glory of God. And so in every meeting with clients, both buyers and sellers, I let them know that. And I said, hey, I am doing everything to the glory of God. I'm giving him 100%. And because of that, I'm giving you 100%. Because the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second is like it, love thy neighbor as thyself. And make sure every client knew that. I only had... One client ever say, cool, I don't want to work with you. That's it. So God typically, so I was like, all right, that's fine. I'll find you another realtor who's going to work great for you. Majority of people are like, that's great. You have a great conviction, a strong faith. I would love to work with someone like that. Uh, and so making sure every client knew that. Someone once went up to Martin Luther. He was a, it was a cobbler, someone who makes shoes. Martin Luther is the great reformer. Um, the reason why we have Protestant churches. And someone said, I'm, I'm not a minister. I just make shoes. How do I glorify God? Martin Luther said, make a great shoe. Um, let people know that you take pride in your work. Honor God with the work that you do, and your conviction in that work will make people intrigued. People will notice that. Excellency. Yeah, and I've seen that, that um, working with other people where they don't operate with excellency, 
And I'm like, why aren't they giving like 100%? Like, I don't get this. They're like, kind of go, and my wife's like, I said, they just don't have that mindset, Andrew. They don't, they're not giving it to God. They're not a Christian or they don't, even as a Christian, they just don't have that mindset yet. And I'm like, you're right. It's, it's for God's glory. And therefore I want to give my 100% best. Yeah. Um, I always think like, that's called, like as a Christian, that's called lordship. Uh, you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, right, that lordship is the idea that whatever he asks of you, you're going to do it. I always like the idea of like, if he asks you to cut the lawn with, you know, scissors, you're going to do it. If he asks you to go clean the toilet with your toothbrush, you're going to do it. Lordship says, I'll do whatever you ask of me. Um, and that's how we're supposed to, man, I'll do whatever you ask me and I'll do it to the best of my abilities. And that's what we're called to do in work. Obedience over sacrifice. Ro, you're walking Ooh, come on. <laughs> becoming a lawyer someday, right? Yeah. And lawyers are known being exceptional liars. Liars, cheaters, <laughs> vagabonds. Yeah, they are, bro. That's yeah, not true. Man, that's not what law is. Over. So let's talk about integrity. And also you are in real estate and there are also questions of integrity in that field bro, as well. Real so. estate's like the party scene. Yeah. Like realtors are known for getting done with work and going to happy hour and drinking. It's, yeah. So is it ever okay to compromise on integrity? to be excellent, since you said excellence is very important, is it ever okay to compromise on one's integrity and honesty? First to... of all, I resent the idea that lawyers are liars. I mean, we, have, <laughs> we, have to talk about, we have to talk about ethics and professionalism literally in every single class. We have a class that we have to take our 3L year called Professionals Responsibility, and if we ever lied in a motion to a judge or any official legal document, you get disbarred. So I'm resenting the claim that lawyers are liars. That's number one. Number two, um, no, I don't think that you have to you have to compromise on biblical values on the things that God tells us to do in order to follow Him because that's a contradiction. God would never ask you to compromise on His word um, because His word is is holy and, and perfect. Um, and so, no, I don't think God would ever ask us to compromise on His word. Um, I can't remember the specific question because you got me worked up saying that lawyers are liars. Wait, so it, you know, if you were gonna save a life in some sort of case, and he knew, like, man, this person is, is going to die, but he's already turned his ways around. He's a Christian man, and if I don't make this a lie, then this guy's going to go to jail, and he's going to die. He's going to get, the, you know, the death sentence. Would you lie? Like, I don't understand how that, like, I don't understand the hypothetical here. Like, I don't understand it either entirely, but I'm saying, would you lie to save a life in a work setting? I would defend a guilty person if that's like if that's what you're asking because I mean that's the closest hypothetical. I would defend a guilty person. Okay. Um, because I mean that that's not a that's not a biblical thing. It's just because I believe in due process, and even if you're the worst person on earth, you were entitled to due process. Yeah. That's that's not a biblical value. But you wouldn't lie for them. Would I? Uh, I, I I don't think I could do that. Okay. I don't think I could because there are ways to defend due process and to give someone a fair representation without lying on their behalf. Fair representation, presenting their side of the evidence and yes. whatnot. Gotcha. Without okay. lying on their behalf. That makes sense. Manipulating facts. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Right. Oh, it <laughs> it everybody's not having it. It makes me think of uh, Chuck Colson. You know Chuck Colson, Charles Colson? I do not. Ah, you should know him, man. He um, was a political advisor to uh, Richard Nixon, did political campaigns and things. And so, you know, the Watergate affair. And uh, Charles Colson, during the what he had let go from the White House because he was like, such a bad influence on everyone had done some scandalous things so he's working on it then the watergate affair happens and during that time period he talks to some people and he comes to know christ right and he's all he's a lawyer as well trained in that comes to know christ and so they're persecuted like hey we know you did some things and we're involved um if you plead guilty to this we'll let you off the hook kind of a deal and he's like i didn't do that 
I can't plead guilty to that in that sense. Instead, he goes and tells them what he did do wrong. He says, man, I just God laid it on my heart to confess exactly what happened. So he does and tells him that. And the judge is very hard, hard knock judge, gives him two years prison, even though he said, I can't plead guilty to this. I'm going to tell you the truth. Still gets two years in prison, right? And he was a, a lawyer, but he'd been changed by the gospel, had to present the truth. And God ultimately honored that as he went to prison for a couple of years, came out recognizing like, man, these are men who need the gospel and started prison ministries across the entire United States and now has the Colson Center in Dallas, which trains up men and women in the workplace. Um, it's like a year-long pro- program and internship. Super cool. As a lawyer, like, hey, I'm an honor God. Yeah. God can redeem anything. It's wild. I mean, even our worst mistakes, like what that guy did, and even if we get sent to prison, God can redeem that because we can share the gospel in prison as, as that guy obviously did. Um, like I said earlier, he doesn't. You would not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. In the first century, if you light a lamp, you would put it in a very specific spot for a very specific reason. And likewise, God has all of us in a very specific spot for a very specific reason. Talking about sharing the gospel really reminds me about um, the Great Commission. Right? There seems to be two distinct sentiments amongst Christians about what it means to advance the Great Commission. And some of my friends have argued that it means going out to people who do not have access to Christ and telling them about Jesus, whereas the other um, other belief system around the same is, hey, wherever you are at, at the moment, that is your mission field, tell people about Christ, right? And so there seems to be this too. It's a seesaw, right? So what, what, what do you guys feel about this? Is it about going out to uh, Asia or to I th- Africa? I think it's both. I think it's whatever God calls you to do, uh, our job is to say yes, sir, and go. So if he calls you to go to another continent, go to another continent. If he calls you to stay in your office and make disciples in your office, do that. Um, because it's not, like they're, it's not like all of the non-Christians are outside of America's borders. Um, someone said that the darkest mission field in the world is corporate America. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I don't, there's no way to actually say it, to know that for sure. But I think there's a lot of truth to that because in the United States, we've grown up in a place where a lot of us grew up in church, but have since walked away. And so we're in what the book of Revelation would call lukewarm Christians. We're kind of in the middle. Um, and, and that's a very dangerous place to be because it can lead to complacency. And so if God is putting you in, corporate, in the corporate world and he's, he's telling you to be on mission here in the United States, there's a very valid reason for that because a lot of people maybe have heard the gospel, but have never understood the gospel and never put their faith in Jesus. And there are probably a lot of people, according to Matthew, when he says, on that day, there will be many who said, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus said, on that day, I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Now that word many is probably the most haunting word choice in the Bible, in my opinion, as in there will be a lot of people who believe that they are Christians, who believe that they are saved. And yet when that day comes and they come face to face with God, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And there are a lot of people in the United States like that because most of us grew up in church. 90% of Americans define themselves as Christians, right? But it's, it's, it's not uh, a guarantee it's, it's, that 90% it's of Americans... It's much lower than that now. No, this well, 90, 90% of Americans consider themselves religious. And then yeah. of that, yeah. But, but this was the first year in history when they did a study that less than half the population would identify as Christian in the United States. And so we're showing that Christianity is on the decline. Um, what's I forget the name of that poll starts with an E, but that was in 2020. Yeah, at the end of it, so beginning of 2021. I think the interesting part of that poll is I, I think I know what poll you're talking about, but correct me if I'm wrong. In in questions like that, they'll typically say, "Do you identify yourself as a Christian?" And then a big number will say yes, and then they ask follow up questions. Well, 
how often you go to church. Is it more than once a year? Do you go to church on days other than Easter and Christmas? And then that's when you get like the 40% numbers. We'll have to pull that out for another discussion and whatnot and see how yeah. the United States is doing and their identity and what they identify as. But yeah, yeah we'll keep moving on. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Andrew, did you have anything to say on, on to that? Oh, yeah. Come on, let's go. Um, for, first thing, it's, you, you mentioned obedience is better than sacrifice. Um, and that's in First Samuel 15, which I'm in First Samuel right now, um, with Saul. And he decided that God literally asked him, hey, go destroy, destroy these people. And what he does is he goes and destroys the people, but he keeps the king alive. And then he keeps their best animals alive, even though God specifically said, destroy everything, their animals, their villages, the people. And he says, no, I kept the best animals to offer as a sacrifice to God. And then God says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Um, and so we look at some people like, man, if I, if I sacrifice my life and I go overseas, in the sense of like sacrificing my wants and desires, and I go overseas to where they really need the gospel to their country, man, that's better in that sense. Whereas that's what they say. And I think that's what very drawing to young generation as well is like, let's just go overseas because that seems like more sacrifice. And I think that's better for God. Whereas really he says, obedience is better than sacrifice and figuring out what has God called me to do with my life? What talents, gifts, and abilities has he called me to do? There's nothing wrong with going overseas. And maybe that's three, five years of your life. Maybe it's 20 and then you come back to the United States. Or maybe it's you're staying here because that's what God has called you to do. Uh, in Acts 1.8, it says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Break that down. Jerusalem, man, you can be my witnesses where you're at in your city with people who look like you, talk like you, walk like you, right? Um, Judea is a little bit bigger than that. It's people who are still like you because it's in the United States, I would say still, like it'd be like us in Dallas and in the United States. California. And then it's <laughs> California, yeah. And then there's there's this thing called Samaria. Um, so then there's, and in Samaria, which is people who are in your region that don't look like you, who you may not actually like at all, right? Because the Jews hate Samaritans. So you got to go to people that you like, that look like you, people who don't look like you, all of Judea, right? And then people who similar to you, maybe totally different than you, and you don't like at all. Ah, and then he says, and to the end of the earth, right? And so we're called to go further than that to everyone. Um, but again, each one is called individually. Wow. Yeah. And one thing, one thing too, kind of along the same lines is there's a story in the gospels where Jesus heals a possessed man. So in the middle of the night, he and the disciples, they land, they come across the Sea of Galilee to the, the, the Gerasene demoniac. Decapolis, Decapolis, which is 10 cities on the eastern side of the shore. Yeah. Cool. Uh, um, yeah, I trust you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that I didn't sound, mean to sound dismissive. When no. I said, but yeah, anyway, so they come across this possessed man and Jesus heals this possessed man. I mean, this guy, like the town was so afraid of this dude. He was such a, a freak that they chained him in the tombs where they kept dead bodies and he kept breaking the chains because he was demon possessed and he was freakishly strong. So people were terrified of this guy. Jesus walks up to him, heals him, doesn't even break a sweat doing it. And then the guy was so thankful he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, go back to your people and tell them what I have done for yep. you. Right. So for some of us, like for the 12 disciples, Jesus told them, hey, come with me. Drop, leave everything behind. Come follow me. If you're, if you're Matthew, leave all your money behind. Come follow me. For the rich young ruler, sell everything you have. Come follow me. For others, he says, no, now that you've seen what I have done for you, go back to your people and tell them what I have done for you. And I can say that in my own life, I'm from a very religious town, and I use that word intentionally. Um, Lafayette, Louisiana is statistically the most Catholic city in America. We have very high church attendance in Lafayette, Louisiana. I love Lafayette, Louisiana. But when I go back home and I'll have lunch with friends, maybe people who go to church every single week, and I you know, share the gospel with them, I tell them, look, this is what Jesus has done in my life. This is what it means to be saved. What do you think about this? Like, what do you think the gospel means? 
they will give me an answer that is not backed by scripture. They will not talk about Jesus forgave my sins, and therefore I am clean and I am pure before God, and because of that I can go forth and tell other people about the gospel. They will say something like, you know, I'm going to go to heaven because I've done all these good things, because I go to church every week, because I do my best. And that's not the gospel. And I say all of that to say that we can fall into this trap of thinking that because we go to church every week and because people, because we identify ourselves as Christians, that we're in a good spot. Mm. But yet that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus saved me. I was dead in my sin. He pulled me out of the grave and I can stand pure before God because of that. And there are a lot of people who who have never heard that, who have never truly heard that message. And because we're talking about corporate America, there are a lot of people in corporate America in this country in general, whether they work for EY or or wherever, there are a lot of people in this country that, you know, maybe grew up in church, but they don't know the gospel and they need to hear the gospel. And if God has put you in a company, if God has, has given you a specific job, he has given you a specific purpose to share the gospel in that job. Wow. That's awesome. That's so well captured. Uh, sort of in conclusion, I'd love I'd love for uh, us to kind of talk. There seems to be an indirect proportionality uh, in relating uh, the higher you climb on the ladder of success as well as humility. How do you stay humble even while climbing up the ladder of success? Man, humility. Uh, again, Daniel was like second, third in charge of the empire that he was part of, I think it was Babylon, or he's three empires actually he was a part of, and he stayed in power like throughout those things and coming from as a slave and a captive slave and most likely a eunuch. And we saw him drop to his knees three times a day. And I've really been convicted by that, that he's saying he's coming before God on his knees, talking to him and saying, man, everything is from you. Yeah. Right. And so you can go, which is cool is as a Christian, you can, man, you can be the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company or a trillion dollar company like Apple or, or Microsoft, right? You can do those things and God will honor that if you're honoring him through it. And so I'd say dropping to your knees and recognizing your reliance on him every single day will keep you in a humble place. Absolutely. And I think that too, the, the more you follow Christ and the more you study God's word and the more you understand the character of God, the more you realize how awesome Jesus is. Mm. But what's amazing is that the more you realize how awesome Jesus is, at the same time, you realize how broken we are. Yeah. And so the more we realize those two truths at the same time, the more important and the more significant the cross becomes, and the more thankful we become for what Jesus did for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that bleeds over into the other areas of our lives where we are more thankful for the job that he's given us, um, the family that he's given us, the, the things that he has given us, and it is much easier over time, the more you come to know Christ, to worship him with the things that we've been given. Yeah, I agree. That is lovely, beautiful people. Above all, we've been called to serve others in every single thing that we do. So I pray that that will be our attitude in whatever, whatever mission field that we are in, whether that's in uh, not in America, whether that's in the corporate world, that you will serve other people and love them well. Amen. Uh, I would say to everyone who is listening who is a Christian, um, it is God has called you to love him first and to love people and be on that mission, whether you're climbing the corporate ladder or whether you're called to be a missionary or both at the same time. Uh, and for those who are non-Christians who are listening, um, it's a, a challenge to really think about and to ponder, when will enough money be enough money? Or when will that position satisfy me? I think of Richard Branson, I think the interview goes, when will enough money be enough money? He's like, one more dollar. And that's the, the pitfall that we get into when we run the rat race of climbing the corporate ladder, different things is one more dollar, one more dollar, one more dollar, and it's never enough. And so at the end of your life, looking back, what's really gonna matter? 
That was it for today, lovely people. Adios, muchachos. Until next time, stay classy. Hasta pronto. See you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.